If you want to turn in your Bibles for the remaining time to the book of Ruth. Last Sunday night, we were blessed to have a wonderful time of fellowship. I haven't experienced that as much as we have wanted to in the last year. And I was just enjoying visiting and fellowshipping and observing. As I was observing, especially our young people, I noticed, my goodness, we've got so many young ladies. There's not that many young men. And I've known that for a while, but it just sort of brought it back to home. And so I thought in seeking out the Lord's will on what to speak on, what better subject could we look at than how a young woman would find an appropriate spouse? Because number one, I didn't see that many young men around. And number two, I, from the circles that I, I'm in, I don't know all that many young men. I know, I know more young ladies than I do young men. So sisters, this is, this is for you. And now you young men and older men and whatever age men don't go to sleep, little men, because I think you'll find in what we're going to look at here today and hopefully the next few weeks, something of a model for you if you are looking for a spouse one day. And if you've already got a spouse, this is not to check out, okay? This is to, number one, praise God that we'll speak on these things if burden of the Lord because they're very important. They have to do with the future, with the rest of your life. And number two, if you already have a spouse, there's certainly characteristics here that we can all work on. I have a spouse, and we'll, I'll see in this things that I need to work on. Maybe you'll see in this things that you need to work on. So uh, if you think I'm leaning towards the sisters this morning, when I tell you the title of the series, you're gonna, you guys are going to roll your eyes, and the sisters are going to go, yes! I'm calling this the Hallmark Channel series. <laughs> Let me just say something about the Hallmark Channel. I give my wife a hard time about the Hallmark Channel. And there's some, some reason to do that from time to time. But in terms of the, the content of stuff that's on the tube, most of it is a thousand times better than anything else is on. And I just like to give them a hard time because, you know, I'd rather see the action movie than I would to see the Hallmark Channel. But as I was studying this, I was like, you know, some of this is just like well, even better than the Hallmark Channel. So this is the Hallmark Channel series. And... Of course, we've got to have some kind of sappy title, you know, of the first message we're going to look at. So this one's called A Barley Harvest Romance. <laughs> a Barley Harvest Romance. Actually, it's better than the Hallmark Channel because it's real life, okay? So let's look at the book of Ruth, and we're going to pull out some different verses here because obviously we won't have time to go through everything. But I hope that you'll see in this Barley Harvest Romance some great lessons because this is about a young woman who went from gleaning grain, which is the poorest of the poor, to fame. She went from being a nobody to becoming a princess. And by the way, every one of the examples that we're going to look at in this Hallmark Channel series is going to have to do with young women who went from nothing, no prospects, nobody, and they became, literally, became princesses in the, the nations that they were involved in. So I, I'm not going to give you the others, but they're very uh, similar, and we'll come up with some good Hallmark Channel-style titles. But the one we're looking at today is Ruth. And I want you to see how she goes from just this poor, pitiful person to a princess. Uh, she goes from a widow to becoming one of the wealthiest w women around. Uh, she goes from forsaken, completely forsaken as a widow, to taken. She goes from an outcast to held fast. And as I said, from nobody to somebody. On the background end of, of what we've got here with Ruth, I want you to look at verse 8 of chapter 1. 
Because you know the story here. You're very familiar with it. The, they go down into the land of Moab in a, in a difficult time, which they never should have done. They never should have left Bethlehem. They left the house of bread to go over into a forsaken land that was a godless, heathen land just because there was a little more rain over there. And after probably 20 years goes by, they've left their homeland. You know, her hus- uh, Naomi, her husband dies, and the boys, the two boys, Milan and Shalon, have married women down there, Ruth and Orpah, and the husbands die. And this is a terrible scenario. It's not like today, it's horrible today when a husband dies. But in this day and time, that was a livelihood. That was sustenance. That was survival for them. So it's almost like they've been, they've been outcast to living on the street almost because they don't have these men to provide for them anymore. And so Naomi decides it's time to go back to Bethlehem. She never should have left Bethlehem. And that's what happens when we get out of the will of God, when we get away from the direction of God. And I want you to notice, this is what, why I want to set the groundwork for this, because one of the young women, Ruth, she goes with, one of the widows goes with Naomi, who's also her mother-in-law widow. And it says in verse 8, look at what she says. Naomi says unto her two daughters-in-law. Now I'm going to emphasize the language here that I want you to focus on, because this has to do with finding a spouse. And I want you to notice that the furthest thing from the mind of Ruth was finding a spouse. The farthest thing from her mind. Okay? Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest. Remember that now. Each of you in the house of her husband. You see what Naomi's saying here? Your husbands are dead. Go find another husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. You know, Naomi, uh, uh, Ruth, and Orpah both say, We'll both go. But Naomi says, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? You see the intent? You see the, this conversation that's going on here? She's worried about them having husbands and having a future. Turn again, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have an husband, if I should say I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight, and should also bear sons. Would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? You hear that? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much more for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Which we know that's not true. (laughs) That's just not true. It wasn't the hand of the Lord that was against her. It was her own bad decision making that was against her. And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Now, the reason I want to emphasize this is because this was going against the culture. It was just, a, it was just assumed that these young, who, probably 28 to 35, maybe, I'm, I'm thinking they were probably 30 years old. 28, 29, 30 years old. Widowed at a very young age. It was just assumed that they would go and find a husband because that was going to be, in a sense, their survival. Okay? This was a different culture where, you know, the women were not the primary breadwinners. They were not the ones that went out and and it was an agrarian society. They were not the ones that were in in many ways were even capable of going out and plowing the fields, planting the crops and doing all the things that they did. So it was just assumed that they would go and find other husbands. But Ruth is going against the grain and she's not interested in finding another husband. You see all the language that goes down there. You need a husband. You need to go find a husband. I don't have any more children. You're not going to get another son from it. You can't wait 20 years or 15 or 17, 18 years. Ruth cleaves to Naomi. 
because that's not the focus and the goal of her life. Now, the reason I emphasize that to you, young ladies, and to all of us is it's, it's very much a great thing for somebody to want to be married and find a spouse. That's, that's God-ordained. It's blessed of God. But if that's your only hope in life, <laughs> you're gonna, you may wind up hopeless. If that's just your only goal and your only thought, you see what I mean? You see, Ruth was focused on serving God at a different level. It does not mean you don't need to desire to find a husband. But I want you to see that when she left the land of her nativity, she, that was just a secondary thought. Well, you know, I don't even know that it was on her mind. She loved Naomi so much. You know, she associated Naomi as her family. See, she was a good mother-in-law too. That ought to be a good lesson for mother-in-laws too. Uh, she, was, she was kind to her daughters-in-laws. And so Ruth decides to go against the grain. She says, I, I'm not worried about finding a husband. I'm just going to leave that in the hands of the Lord, and I'm just going to take care of this poor, old, depressed widow woman. <laughs> you see, that's why she came back to the land of Naomi's nativity. So Ruth's intent we see in these few verses, and we want to read this because it's such beautiful language. She says, uh, by the way, Naomi says, go on back. She keeps discouraged like four times. She says, you just need to go back. And she says, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people and thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if off but death part thee and me. And when, she, when Naomi saw that she was steadfastly minded to go, she just dropped it. She said, okay, this girl is set. Now, that's the language right there, by the way, that's been used a lot in weddings. And it's very appropriate to be used in weddings. But just notice, it doesn't come from a wedding. It comes from the love that a young daughter-in-law, widow, had for her poor old depressed mother-in-law. So they go back. And notice in verse 22, when they come back, it says in the last part of the verse, they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. You know, this is where the foreshadowing comes in on the Hallmark Channel and the cameras begin to roll past the coffee shop, you know, where everybody's hanging out. Because that's all they ever do in, in those movies is hang out at the coffee shop. <laughs> but, but this is where they begin to roll, you know, the pan across the land and see the men planting the harvest, you know. And here comes these two little sad ladies dressed in black walking in. And everybody's, oh, it's, it's Naomi. She's back and she's got someone with her. And Ruth doesn't look like the girls around uh, the area of Bethlehem. So you see, this is a barley harvest romance. And it didn't even start out as a romance. It didn't start out as anybody being interested in each other or anybody even having in their mind, well, I'm out here gleaning grain looking for a spouse. That's not what's going on here. This young woman's heart is set on serving God. She said, your God will be my God. And I want you to notice how God delivers through the very simple and easy thing to do of following the Lord in the kingdom of God. The Lord delivers in a mighty way. It says in chapter 2, and this is one of the first lessons that we get for a young woman trying to find a spouse. I think, well, I guess the first lesson would be, if that's your only goal in life, you may be disappointed. <laughs> so I guess the next lesson would be in chapter 2, where it says, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth in the family of Elimelech. That was her husband who died. And his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. The first 
real important lesson that I think we get out of this for any of us in terms of following the Lord is you need to trust in the hap. <laughs> the word hap is just the, the word we would say today would be happenstance. It just so happened, you know, that she wound up in the field of Boaz. <laughs> you see, we need to trust in the hap. And I'm not talking about trusting into chance, okay? I'm telling you that God was, and she didn't even know it, God was providentially directing her to this particular location. She didn't know the day that she went out with her basket, her probably a little puny looking basket where she's just going out to get food for them to eat. This is like five times removed from going to the grocery store. <laughs> you know, she's got to go out and get the grain, find the grain, fix the grain, do all the things you got to do just to get bread. I mean, you're talking about an, an all day task here. For her to be able to set food on the table the next day, right? You go gather it, then you come home. You probably stay up all night doing all the things you got to do to it. And then the next day you're going to get to eat this meal. Because you, you can imagine that Naomi and Ruth, unless they had, and they probably did have some people, neighbors that were helping them out. But they, they just don't have anything. They don't have any food. So they're hungry. So she's going out five times removed from the grocery store. She's got to get the stuff to actually make the food, okay? And it's her hap to come to the field of Boaz, Trust in the hap. Nothing is by chance. And I'm not talking like an absoluter. I don't mean that everything is absolutely preordained to happen. But if you're looking to the Lord and you're going about serving God and you're going about doing your ordinary discipleship type things, you know, the Lord may very well open a door for you to find the field of Boaz. You see? But if you just sit at home and you just twirl your fingers and say, well, I'm just going to wait for the Lord to bring him to my door. Well, you may be waiting a long time. <laughs> You may sit for a while. Go about the ordinary course of business. If you've got people that are starving in your house, then go and, and glean grain in the fields. If you've got people uh, that, that need these things or that those things, I'm not talking about starving. Nobody's starving. But if you've got things you need to do, go about your business. Go about your ordinary course of business and, and trust the hap to the Lord. Because he may open a door for you to see someone or, or encounter someone or someone mention someone to you. That's exactly what happens here. <laughs> she had no idea that she was going to the field of Boaz, who was a near kinsman. Also, I'm going to skip over to verse 20. This is after Naomi, uh, Naomi encounters Ruth when she comes back. And when she says, where in the world have you been today? We're going to jump back and forth here a little bit. But this is the second key. And, and it's obvious that Ruth's family was a key in her finding a spouse, right? Ruth's family was a key because Naomi says, where did you get all this from? And she says, blessed be the Lord when she says, it's, Bo it's Boaz. Oh, that's a near kinsman. That's somebody that's in our family. Now, I'm not talking about go and marry your cousin, young ladies. I don't mean that. But what I'm saying is trust in your family. You see, Ruth's blessing in finding Boaz and ultimately what happens here, it came through the source of her family, Some, someone she trusted. She loved Naomi, see? It's a different culture, different situation. And of course, Ruth in no way was, was blood related to Boaz whatsoever. You know, she is a widow of a, of a man who died. You know, Boaz is a cousin to her deceased husband. So it's nothing weird or anything about that. But understand that her future came through her family. Now you say, well, my family's just not supportive. I get that, but you got a church family, Right? you got a church family. You say, well, I'm just a little nervous. Well, that's okay. I was nervous for 
a long time, you know, until the Lord opened the door for me to find my spouse. It's okay to be nervous. It's okay to not know what to say. I'll never forget the first time in high school, you know, when my parents ever let me talk to a girl on the phone. I might have been 14 or 15 years old, and, and they let me call some little girl, you know, that I went to school with. I was so nervous. I had to write down everything I said, you know. So when I call her up, I'm like, hey, how are you doing? I'm good. It's so nice to be able to talk to you today. I mean, you know, I sounded like a complete nerd. Nervous! You know, by the way, nerd is very close to nervous. But anyway, it's okay to be nervous. It's okay to to wonder, well, should I talk about this? If you've got a church family, if you've got family that loves you, talk to them about this. Have you ever asked your parents their story? They have a story. (laughs) They, They probably have a hap story where they, just by happenstance, but the providence of God intervened, you see? Trust in the family. See? Now jump back over with me to verse 10 of chapter 2. And this is whenever Ruth has gone out and she is actually gathering grain. You understand, this is what the poorest of the poor people did. Ruth was not above some low, down, menial, uh, maybe even disgusting labor. She's out there among people that she doesn't even look like, very nervous trying to just beg and gather. That's what gleaning was. The reapers would go through and they would knock down the grain with their sharp sickles and then there would be stuff that they didn't gather and they, and they were required by the Mosaic Law to leave that that they missed. If they dropped something, they just had to leave it. That goes against our kind of greedy mentality, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, that was money they were losing. They were leaving on the ground. That was food they were leaving on the ground. But the beggars would come along and glean. That means to kind of skim over the top. And, and there was a lot of competition that often went along with those who were gleaning. Like, this is my spot to glean. Don't you get on my spot. You know, it's kind of almost humorous to think about jockeying for position among folks that were that poor, you know. So she gleans, and she gleans all morning. Boaz comes along and says, who is that young woman? She doesn't look like the rest of the girls. And he says, one of the workers says, well, that's the damsel. The word damsel is where we get the word dame from. So this young lady, she goes from dame to something very special. She was just another girl to something very special. And Boaz says, who is that? And they say, it's, it's Ruth. It's the Moabitess that came back with Naomi. You know, the one who's a widow. And Boaz goes up to her against the, against the grain, you might say. And I know that's kind of a pun because we're gleaning grain. But he goes against the grain and he goes up to her and addresses her, which was very unusual. That's why you find Ruth down on her face before him. And Boaz says to Ruth, do you not hear my daughter? Do not go to another field. Stay in this field. The reason he did this was not because he was trying to be coy or or romantic with her. It's because he loved her mother-in-law. You hear me? And by the way, you're going to pick up some, we're going to get to the guys eventually. I don't know. We'll probably call this that, that, you know, when we get to that, it'd be like the, the action show, the action channel series, you know, I don't know. But you're going to pick up a few things in here, young men and older men and men like me who are married. You'll pick up some things in here on the tendencies of these men, how they treated these dear ones, these dear ladies. Boaz goes immediately to her because he loved her mother-in-law. He, he loved her. She was a widow. She was a, she was a cousin. His, her husband, her deceased husband was a friend of his. So he wants to take care of her. He says, don't go anywhere else. Just stay right here. That was very kind. And I want you to notice another lesson for, uh, for young ladies is to be humble. Be humble. It says in verse 10, she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground. I'm not saying if you think that's Prince Charming, well, go fall on your face before him and stick your nose in the dirt. I'm not saying that. But in this culture right here, she was showing great reverence and humility. 
It was embarrassing. You think about the women who came and ministered to Jesus. It was, it was somewhat embarrassing to have a, a woman come and down at the feet of Jesus and anoint his feet with, uh, her, with oil and to wipe his feet with her hair. That was very strange and embarrassing. This woman is very humble. She's not afraid to go and work a menial job. And she's not afraid to bow herself before her Lord. If you want to carry it, Boaz is a type of Christ. You shouldn't be afraid to bow yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, thank you and help me. (laughs) That's what she does. She has a very humble attitude. And I want you to notice also that this young woman was very hardworking. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that we would say, Well, Ruth was a professional at gleaning. I don't think she'd ever gleaned before. You know, this was very unusual, very out of character, very strange to be a beggar. I don't think she'd gone to gleaning school and tried to figure out how to glean. You see, she's nervous. She's it it reminds me. I remember this is totally I'm just trying to emphasize how the type of nervousness I think she had. But I remember the the day that I reported for fall camp for college football up at Sanford University. Not, not a big deal. And it, people say, what would you play, Brother Tim? I say, I played tailback. Every time I ran on the field, the, the coach said, son, sit your tail back down. <laughs> so no big deal here. But I did go do it. I played it for four years. And I'll never forget that feeling when I walked out there. Hot, August day. I don't know anybody. I don't know who's good. I don't know who's bad. I don't know who's fast. I don't know who's slow. I don't know who's strong. I don't know who's weak. Ooh, that was a... That was a weird feeling. I was nervous. You know, what am I going to do? How am I going to prove myself? When am I going to get my shot? When I, that was a weird feeling. Didn't know anybody. And in a much worse way than that, nobody was trying to, well, they might have been trying to run you over, but they weren't trying to beat you up. But in a, in a, ter- in a much worse way, Ruth is out here, doesn't know anybody. She's nervous. You know, she's having to do something she's never done before. <laughs> this made me think of, Sometimes, you know, when you get somebody gets married, a sister Trey, and I, I asked permission to tell this story. I learned from a couple of weeks ago. I'm asking permission again. But when Sister Tracy and I got married, you know, she she's a today, and even then she could cook. I mean, she was she is an incredible cook today and through the years. But when she first we first got married, you know, she said, Look, I didn't do a whole lot of cooking. You know, we had a lot of instant meals, mom and dad both worked, you know, that kind of thing. And so I'll never forget she learned quick. I'll never forget we were living in Nashville. You know, she never just spent her time making meals from scratch. And by the way, that's not the standard of being a godly woman, that you can just make meals from scratch. But it sure tastes good now. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) But she never made meals from scratch and things like that. So she was talking with my mom a lot. And I'll never forget, she said, there was this dish that my grandmother had. And it was this pasta dish. You know, and she'd put this red sauce in it. And I was this sounds good, you know. I'll never forget when we sat down, this was within two months of being married and she put this dish on the table and it had all this macaroni in it and I looked at it and it was kind of reddish it looked like a brain (laughs) and I was thinking is this a brain or is this pasta you know (laughs) and she's like I don't know if it turned out like I really wanted that doesn't look like my grandmother's and I said well it kind of looks like a brain (laughs) I should have never said that man I dug into that brain pasta and ate it like there was there was no tomorrow you know just just get over the fact it looks like a brain (laughs) At least it wasn't green. But, you know, she had never done some of those things from scratch. That's not the standard or the test of a godly woman. Are y'all with me? But Ruth could learn. You know, my dear wife, boy, she learned quick. 
And it didn't hurt that mom was all, every time they'd visit, they'd be dropping off uh, frozen peas and frozen uh, corn and things like that. You know, that really helped the situation. But you understand, Ruth had never done this before. She had never gleaned grain before. But she learned quick. Okay? She was a quick study. So she was hardworking. She was able to adjust. She was able to do some things that she probably didn't even know that she was capable of doing. And then it all gets worked out on the threshing floor. Chapter 3. Ruth was trusting in the hap. Her family was a key. She had a humble attitude and she was hardworking. I'm going to tell you, young sisters, that will get you noticed. That will get you noticed. But we're not done yet. So on the threshing floor, this is where it all gets worked out. And there's been a lot of debate over whether this was right, whether this was wrong. I just really don't know. I just know that there's some beautiful imagery given here. And I really don't think there was anything inappropriate going on here because there were a lot of people down on the threshing floor. You know, Boaz was laying over here after they threshed out the grain, the harvest. That's where the chaff goes away. I think it's very ironic and providential that they were on the threshing floor where the grain comes forward and the chaff is just blown away. And so they had done their work. They'd had a feast that night. And so Boaz just goes over and lays by the grain pile. And there's other people down there on the threshing floor. It's a real hard surface. So they go put their sleeping bags or their blankets and they just cover up. They just stayed there because they're going to get up early the next morning and work. So he just goes and he lays down. So I don't, I don't know that there was anything inappropriate going on here. There was just a lot of people down there. A lot of accountability, if you will, down on the threshing floor. But notice how she gets here. Naomi tells her in verse 1, she says, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee? Is that not what she said when she talked to the two daughters-in-law back over in Moab? She said, you need to find rest. You need to find, that literally means a nesting place. Like a bird would find a nest, build a nest. She said, I will seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee. And she goes on and she tells Ruth to go down there, wash yourself, clean up, wear your best dress, go down there to the threshing floor and... Do what I tell you to do. And that's exactly what she does. And there's another lesson for the young sisters and the young men. Follow wise counsel. If you've got three or four wise counselors saying, this is appropriate, this is right, look in this direction. And then all your little buddies and your friends are saying, no, go do this, go do that. You need to immediately discount that. (laughs) Because your your, your close friends, unless you've got a rare, very wise friend of your own age, your, your close friends are going to say, just do what feels good. Just go with it, man. Go with the flow. Don't listen to that. That's disaster coming. Listen to wise counsel. That's what she did. She said, I'll, everything you do, I'll, everything you say, I'll do it. So she goes down to the grain. She goes down to the threshing floor where the grain gets sifted and the chaff blows away where everything gets worked out. <laughs> you ever heard the old saying, the cream rises to the top? My dad was a dairy farmer for years. I was just a little bitty fella right around the time he finished all that. But I do remember going in there and he'd open that big bin up and that cream would be on the top. And he'd scoop that off with one big hand. <laughs> that's the show. That's the cream, boys. You know, the cream rises to the top. What you got right here is the cream rising to the top. The grain is all that's left. You know, the also-rans and those that profess to say, well, I'll, I'll be the one for you, they just disappear on the threshing floor where the grain gets shifted. She follows wise counsel. And notice whenever Boaz realizes she's there, he says in verse 9, Who art thou? And she answered, I'm Ruth. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kisman. And he says, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter. Now several things could have happened here. He could have said, Oh, listen, sweetie, I'm not interested. <laughs> you know, what was she lost? Nothing. 
He could have said, I, look, look, I, I'm just not interested. You know, I'm, I'm just interested in helping take care of your sweet, widowed mother-in-law. And she'd be like, okay, well, I'm just going home. What's she lost? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. But he says he is interested. See? Blessed be thou the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether rich or poor. He says you're kind. He's noticed that she's kind. You see, that's another great lesson to the young sisters, young brothers, all of us of all, just be kind. Just be a kind person. Not smart mouthed and not uh, quick tempered and not angry and not flustered. All the, Just be kind. In her mouth, it says in Proverbs, is the law of kindness. Be kind. It's noticed when somebody's kind. You say, well, yeah, but if I don't strut my tail feathers on Twitter and on Instagram and all this stuff and express myself, well, then, you know, I might not get noticed. I pray to God you don't get noticed on those things. Because everybody that gets noticed on those things, it's usually not in a good way. <laughs> well, so-and-so sure spoke their mind. I'm going to kind of steer my, myself away from that. Be kind. If you're going to post something on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, Be kind. In her mouth is the law of kindness. The law of kindness should be in all of our mouths. Just because you got an opinion and because you, you can express it and you're a red-blooded American doesn't mean you have to. <laughs> I've said over the last year, I've had some opinions. And I don't think you've heard me express a single one of them. Because I want to be kind. You see, in her mouth is the law of kindness. Boaz says, you're kind. And your kindness now is even greater than the kindness you had at the beginning when we first saw you come back. You don't follow rich men or poor men. You're just following along to serve the Lord. Man, what a great reputation that she had in the community. And he says, I will do all that thou requirest for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. How about that? The last thing that I would say to us, to the young ladies, the young sisters is, Work on a good reputation. That's what Boaz says. All the city of my people knows that you're a virtuous woman. (laughs) Virtuous means powerful. It means a woman of principle. It means a woman of character. A good character, that is, because you could have a bad character. But you're a woman who has principles. You have virtue. See, that is moral integrity. That's part of it. What does the city of your people, young ladies, say about you? Well, they say something. Especially if you're posting a lot. (laughs) Or if you're showing up, acting this way, acting that way. Who who do you hang out with? The city of your people know who you hang out with. Whether it's good or whether it's bad. What do you say? What do the city of your people say about the things you say? Boy, that girl right there, she'll express her her mind. (laughs) Well, you may have just turned away Boaz by... Expressing your, your mind. It doesn't mean you can't have an opinion. It doesn't mean that you can't express your mind. But you can do it like the Word of God says. Speak the truth in love. You see? You can express your opinion. You can express your mind. I hope it lines up with the Word of God. But speak it in love. What are the overall lessons that we learn from the barley harvest romance? Number one, you trust in the hap. Trust in the hap. Your family is a key. Have a humble attitude. Be hard working. You will come to your threshing floor where the chaff blows away and the grain is all that's left. You will come to that. You'll come, and it might be Boaz says, hey, I'm not interested. <laughs> or it might be Boaz says, I'll do everything that's required. I'll do everything that's required. Follow wise counsel. Be kind. And work on a good reputation. You see? 
There's modern day Ruth's all around. See, this is not just something from the Old Testament that has no bearing. There's modern day Ruth's all around. You just have to look and see the principles. I'm not telling you you got to quit your job and go find a place where you can glean grain with the poor people of the land. <laughs> You'd have to go to Africa to do that, probably some third world country. That's not the point. The point is, take these principles. Embrace these principles. Young sisters, these principles are your future. And instead of just sitting back and waiting and saying, well, I wonder when he's going to come along. That guy doesn't quite fit it. That guy got kind of... I'm telling you, Boaz didn't quite fit all the things that Ruth probably had in her mind. But see, God is able to fill those gaps in. And this is how he does it now. You work on yourself. Instead of sitting back and wait, well, I wait till the perfect one comes along. You're going to be waiting for all of your life because there is no perfect one except for Christ Jesus. See, be the person and bear the characteristics of the person you're looking for. You see, and God will take care of the rest of it. You'll come to your threshing floor and it'll all get worked out. I hope the Lord blesses what we've talked about here today. Whether you're a young sister, a young brother, a little man, an old man, a middle aged man, whatever your case may be, whatever your hap may be. I pray that the Lord would bless us to rejoice in these principles. And if you're looking... If you're in that category of your looking, I'm telling you that if God can provide a spouse for a 30-something-year-old widow woman who had no prospects and looked different than all of the girls in the, in the culture and society that she was in, if God can provide a spouse for that person, I assure you that He can provide one for you.